You're listening to a Mango Languages podcast. Hazmi masite, marhaba, and welcome back to Adventures in Language. I'm your guide, Emily. And in this episode, I'm sharing with you eight tips for providing your language students with better corrective feedback, a term which means exactly what it sounds like, feedback given for the purpose of correcting errors. Now, for all of my language teachers out there listening, I'm going to bet that you put a lot of time and effort into providing thoughtful feedback to your students. And it can be really frustrating when you don't see them learning and growing from it in the way that you'd hope or expect. The good news is that there are some very simple ways to make your feedback more effective. And that's precisely what I'm going to be sharing with you in this episode. And for those of you who might not know me yet, I'm Emily. I'm a linguist here at Mango Languages, and the language learning and teaching process is very near and dear to my heart. I've taught language learners of English and Spanish in the U.S. and abroad, and I've studied seven different languages over the years. Now, anyone who's studied or taught a language before knows that corrective feedback is so important. It's crucial, actually, to the language learning and teaching process, which is why we chose it as the topic for this episode. And without further ado, let's get to it. Now, to get started, let's try something. I want you to think back to a time when you were in class. Let's say it was a language class or maybe it was some other subject. And a teacher identified an error that you made and they corrected you on it. Now, what was the error that you made? How did the teacher go about correcting it? Was their feedback helpful? In what ways might it not have been helpful? Hold on to those answers and to that memory, and we'll come back to it at the end. Now, let's dive into the tips that will help you optimize your corrective feedback for your language learners. Tip number one, prioritize your feedback. Sometimes less can be more, and this is especially true for the written feedback that we give our students, though it also applies to the oral feedback as well. We've all been there providing feedback that ends up with way too much red ink or too many scattered comments, and The truth is that's not helping anyone. The solution here is to provide feedback summaries instead of feedback details. Prioritizing your feedback in this way is helpful to your students because the reality is if you comment on everything, you can very quickly overwhelm them and they might not even know where to start in wading through it all. Here's how I prioritize my feedback for my students. Let's say I'm reading a student's essay in the target language. The first thing I do is write a summary list of the top three points that the student needs to know about. From there, I don't add any special comments throughout the body of the essay, unless totally necessary. Sometimes you have to. There's always exceptions. Instead, I circle the associated problem areas throughout the paper, intentionally not specifying what it is that they need to fix in each of those circled spots. You see, it's up to the student to identify why it was circled and figure out how to fix it. And then depending on how you've set up your assignment structure, you could have them submit the revised version for their final grade. So the benefit here of prioritizing your feedback is actually twofold. It accomplishes two things. First, it ensures that the student is engaging in critical thinking and reflection, which is key for effective learning. And second, it is a game changer for you and your time management because Let's be honest, you have a lot of things on your plate, so being efficient with your written feedback will help you do your job better overall. Tip number two, feedback first, grade later. Incorporating feedback that's detached from the final grade is a really great way of making sure that students are actually reading your feedback. 
You see, if you're only providing feedback on the final draft of something and that's just a closed and shut grade for them, there's less incentive for them to go read thoroughly through your comments and internalize them. So by slightly adjusting the structure of your assignments, you can incentivize students to really dig into the feedback that they get from you. For example, you could set up your assignment structure such that students always submit a draft version for completion grade only. So they only get graded on whether or not they finished it or not. They don't get graded on the specifics of the grammar and vocabulary that they used. Then they incorporate that feedback into their final submission, which is where they get their final grade. Low stakes assignments like these, which are graded just for completion, can also help students reduce their grade anxieties, which helps them focus on the joy of learning. And here's a really amazing added benefit. It's what gets me the most excited about this tip. Doing this might actually help your students to be a little adventurous with the target language. For example, they're more likely to try out more complex grammar in their writing because they won't need to worry that their attempt at trying something more difficult could result in them getting docked points. So feedback first, grade later. Okay, tip number three, maintain a timely turnaround. If you take too long in getting your feedback to your students, it's going to be of less use to them because their errors are more likely to become entrenched. Students submit an assignment or an exam, and in an ideal world, you want to get it back to them as soon as possible. The problem is sticking to that goal when life and all of its competing demands get in the way. So to help you out, here are two suggestions. Suggestion one, put your grading slash feedback time on your calendar so that it's protected time. And if that doesn't work for you, try suggestion number two, implementing online quizzes that provide automated feedback. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that the student just gets a correct or false as their feedback from you. For example, you could curate the quiz experience for them such that when a student selects an incorrect answer, they get a short text description that explains why it's incorrect. Tip number four, never underestimate the power of positive feedback. Yeah, this one is very easy in theory, but very easy to forget when you're in the thick of grading and providing that feedback. Make sure to always include some positive comments about your students' strengths and the progress that they're making, in addition to the things that they can improve on. Positive and negative feedback are both critical to the language learning process, and together they increase student efficacy, you know, that belief in themselves that they can do the thing, and it also encourages their learning growth. I personally keep myself accountable for this one by putting a sticky note next to my computer screen when I'm grading or providing feedback. And the sticky note says, start positive. And then after that, I allow myself to dive into everything that they can improve. Easy fix. Okay, tip number five, address common errors together in class. Not all errors are specific to individual students, so why not share the common error patterns that you see with the class? Post-test debriefs are a great way to do this, and you can even help illustrate some of those common error patterns by showing your students some data. Here's what I mean. For example, you could say, okay, 75% of you got question number four on the exam wrong. Can you tell me why? Then the students get to see where they stand in relation to the rest of the class as it relates to their comprehension of the material. Now, this is helpful to them because it gives them a chance to engage their metacognition, which allows them to sit in the driver's seat, so to speak, for their language learning journey. 
A fun in-class assignment that pairs well with this practice is to have students create future exam questions that focus on the common errors they collectively experienced on the exam. Creating those questions will help them internalize the takeaway points. And actually, bonus, it'll also provide you with ideas for future questions on future exams. But of course, tell your students that that's how you're going to use them, since this is kind of their intellectual property. Okay, so far these tips have focused mostly on written corrective feedback, but what about oral corrective feedback? That brings us to tip number six. Get meta with your oral feedback methods. This one's simple. Tell your students at the beginning of the semester all the different ways that you'll be providing them with oral feedback in class. There's no need to keep it a secret from them. Sharing your methodology with them helps them engage their metacognition of language learning and helps them take responsibility for their own learning journey. It also demonstrates that you're intentional with your feedback, which can be pretty helpful in building trust. For example, I'll put this in the syllabus and I'll often mention it throughout the academic year. I'll say something like, in class, you'll often notice I use a strategy called recasting, which means that I'll repeat what you've said while subtly correcting the error. So for example, in English, this could be something like a student says, I saw he, and then I say, oh, really? You saw him? You saw him? So these are the ways that you can help your student understand the ways that you're giving them feedback. Now, tip number seven, encourage students to play teacher. We all know that teachers aren't the only ones with knowledge in the room. And we also know that students get to feel a sense of accomplishment when they can help each other. And this also helps foster a more student-driven classroom, which, of course, has the added benefit of an increased learner motivation. So, yeah, encourage that student-to-student feedback. One way you can systematically do this is by implementing peer review into your class structure. You could also require students to submit a short paragraph with their final essay that details exactly how they've incorporated peer and teacher feedback into their final essays or projects. This will help reinforce the corrective feedback in the mind of the learner. Plus, sometimes, let's be honest, hearing corrective feedback from a friend or a classmate just hits different than hearing it from a teacher. So lean into the varied expertise in your classroom. All right, here's the last one. Tip number eight, manage your expectations about student progress. Remember, it takes some failure, some forgetting, some mistake making before progress really is made. So just because a student doesn't seem to have learned the grammar point the next time you approach it in class or they keep forgetting the same vocabulary word multiple times, it doesn't mean that they're not learning. It doesn't mean that that learner point is not marinating in their mind. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad teacher. Language learning is complicated. It's a process and they'll get there bit by bit. Well, there you have it. Those are our eight tips for giving better feedback to your language students. We covered a lot in today's episode, so let's recap those tips one last time. Tip number one, prioritize your feedback. Tip number two, feedback first, grade later. Tip number three, maintain a timely turnaround. Tip number four, never underestimate the power of positive feedback. Tip number five, address common errors together in class. Tip number six, get meta with your oral feedback methods. Tip number seven, Encourage students to play teacher. And tip number eight, manage your expectations about student progress. Now, earlier I asked you to recall a time when a teacher gave you corrective feedback. Given the tips you've learned today, 
how might that teacher have improved the way they gave you that feedback? Or did they just nail it? Just imagine how much better we as teachers would be if we all took this time to reflect on our past experiences as students and apply new knowledge to better serve our students today. So go you, you awesome, awesome teacher. Now that you finished the episode, I hope you feel inspired to take these tips and try implementing them into your classroom. And disclaimer, you shouldn't feel like you need to implement all eight of these tips all at once. In fact, I'd actually recommend that you pick just your favorite two to three, you know, the ones that most resonated with you and just run with those. This is because not every tip that I share will necessarily work for your teaching style or the format in which your class is set up. So use what works for you. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please let us know by subscribing to the podcast. And remember, if you have a question or an idea for an episode you'd like to hear from us, let us know. We're always listening. Well, my language teachers, that's all for this episode of Adventures in Language. Sayonara, masilame, and I look forward to hanging out with you here next time. Bye.